0: there everyone welcome to the winging it in hockey town podcast we're here to present you with episodes seven and eight together and we've titled it frustration for multiple reasons i'm your host chris langlois
1: and i'm mike slipchuck and we're happy to bring episodes seven and eight to you guys in one podcast and uh you chris you forgot a little detail there it's frustration mounts so um we could probably relate that to two items, um, obviously, with um, some recent Red Wings games, the the frustration has definitely mounted. But also, um, our sincere apologies uh, to the listeners for the delay um, in not providing episode seven last Sunday. We did, in fact, uh, upload it, and we I we shortly found after that. Uh, our voices were talking at the same time. There were periods of Chris not talking and I was talking. So uh, technology was definitely not our friend. Um, And we tried it a second time uh, last night on Saturday after the Florida Panthers game or during, I should say. And uh, yeah, it still didn't work. So hopefully third time's the charm. I'm a big believer in that. And uh, you know, let's fire away here.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, Funny, we should have it exactly memorized how we're going to say things today, um, when we're going to say it, because, you know, like, like Mike said, it's the third time now that we're attempting to do this, and we do have a lot to talk about today. Um, before we get into the agenda, though, we do like to talk about uh, some things mental health related. So for the first time for the listeners, third time for us, we're going to talk about um, the ongoing conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. Um obviously we don't want to make this too political. We want to focus on the mental health aspect thinking about, you know, how difficult it would be for these, you know, c- the citizens of the Ukraine having to live through this uh whether they be um men who have no previous experience fighting in combat, now suddenly um a lot of them are um, to defend their country, whether it be the women and children trying to flee to get to safety, um, whether they're choosing to stay and they hear the constant bombing. I can only imagine, um, the impact that that could have on one's mental health. So surely there's a lot of people being affected by that. Um, and it's just something that we should acknowledge and continue to acknowledge.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well said. And, um, you know, what, uh, I guess one, if you will, one positive you could take from this experience is the support that, uh, you know, and obviously God bless. Before I get into that, God bless um, the people of Ukraine. Um, I personally um, have Ukrainian roots uh, through my dad's side. And uh, it's uh, my understanding that we still have some distant relatives over there. But um, nonetheless, you know, God bless all the people of Ukraine. And um, what what is nice to kind of see is obviously – not only the world support. Um, I actually just literally was driving around in Windsor earlier today, and uh, there's an outdoor rink um, in our city here in Windsor, and there was uh, hundreds of people, um, you know, hoisting uh, you know Ukraine flags, and um, you you better believe that I gave them a couple honks uh, in support. And um, you know, yeah, absolutely, you feel for these these people, uh, whether they're older or younger, that are living in the Ukraine. They have your every day is filled with adrenaline and panic. And yes, there's uh, young young children and children in general and and moms fleeing the country um while a lot of the males are staying back and fighting. But not just males though. I've seen some stories where females are standing up um, and and fighting as well. And I've read numerous stories on that. And, uh, you know, God bless, like just like they're coming together as a country and, and standing up for their country um, and really fighting against this hatred. And, uh, you know, you look at a guy like Prime Minister, or I, I think in his country, it's President um, Zelensky there uh, standing up and, uh, and fighting for his country and just leading by example. Um, And, you know, he's, he is uh, a man of a house where he's got a family, a wife and kids. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic uh, to see that support. Obviously what's actually going on is, is horrible and our hearts, uh, you know, are, are out to these, these folks over in Eastern Europe and hopefully it does get resolved in a nonviolent or somehow nonviolent manner and relatively quickly Um, obviously there's been some casualties. I understand that, but, uh, yeah, our heart definitely goes out to these people. It's, uh, it's traumatic to watch, uh, you know, being what, five, 6,000 miles away here in North America. So, um, God bless those people.
0: Yeah. And something I, I would like to add in, um, I know it's a little controversial, but I think, you know, our thoughts also have to be with the many, what I would say, innocent Civilians of Russia, citizens of Russia, who in Russia, in Canada, if we disagree with our, I disagree with our government all the time, and I know I can confidently express myself, and I'm okay to express myself, but in Russia, if you speak out against uh, Vladimir Putin or any high-ranking government officials, you could be arrested or worse. So these citizens, many of them, do not agree or support the, this war or any any form of violence, um, but they they can't do anything about it because they literally feel powerless. So I I actually disagree in some ways with how uh, some organizations in the world are handling things. For example, um, you know the talk of um, not allowing Team Russia to play in the World Juniors. I I understand the idea behind it, but by doing that, you're not punishing Vladimir Putin. You're punishing 16-, 17-, and 18-year-olds from being given their chance to showcase themselves for the game of hockey. They have nothing to do with this violence. They want nothing to do with this violence, but they're being punished for it, not Putin. And that's just one example. There's uh, soccer leagues. There's uh, freaking PlayStation has announced they're going to be doing stuff. Like I understand the thinking behind it, but none of these things are going to punish like Vladimir Putin could care less at the end of the day. He doesn't care about his people. I think we should.
1: Yeah. And I know it was a rumor there for about a week or so reading stuff from TSN and other hockey sites. uh, uh I, yeah, I, I you know not just the the world junior players that can now can't now participate in the upcoming um, rescheduled uh, world juniors that are going to be taking place in Canada. I feel horrible for them, and I'll get into that. But I yeah, I feel bad for a lot of these um, innocent Russian civilians that are uh, in the streets protesting, and then because they're go- technically going against the government, they you know their livelihood is threatened, and a lot of these folks don't want this war or even understand what the war is even about let alone supporting it and you know i've read stories too on like russian uh, soldiers that are just in awe of what's going on and a lot of these soldiers too are like you know 19 20 21 years old and they don't agree with what's going on and but yeah i, I guess more hockey related you know i feel i feel for these these people and to have these 16, 17, 18-year-olds, this is a lot of these kids, I'll call them kids, um, way to showcase their talent in the hockey world. And they are, they're forbidden now from playing in this World Junior Tournament. And this was a chance, not just for the ones that were highly drafted, and, and I know they're, uh, the individual there for Russia, he... I can't even think of his name right now, but um, he was touted to be top five in this upcoming NHL draft. And numerous other Russian players were going to be drafted as well. And obviously a great hockey country. And, but even for the, the, the individuals on this team that weren't supposed to be drafted, it's a chance for them to still showcase their talent and maybe perhaps become an undrafted free agent like we've seen in the NHL in the past. One guy that comes to mind for me is Dan Cleary was an undrafted free agent. He had a great career uh, for not being drafted and he, he won a Stanley cup with the Red Wings and almost won in 2009. But regardless, it is still uh, I can only imagine the mental capacity and the mental or or the mental um, breakdown that it it has on these, these players and these people. And it's very, very sad. Um, And it goes to our point in previous episodes. When you're, and I understand these these uh, kids in the world juniors aren't professionals technically yet. Some are, most aren't. Um, the competitive nature in any sport is you want to play the best, you want to beat the best. That is just, it's not just hockey. It's any sport. And so for teams like, you know, Team Canada being the host country, Team USA, Team Sweden, Team Finland these notable hockey countries will say they want to play the best. So I can only imagine too, like as a young Canadian player that if I was representing team Canada for the world juniors, I'd want Russia to be there. You want to play the best and it just, that competitive nature doesn't stop. It, it increases as you get to the professional ranks, whether it's the NHL, the KHL, any league in Europe, the AHL. So it's, yeah it's it's it was devastating news uh to say the least um that the uh, team russia will not be participating in the uh world junior tournament that's rescheduled for august uh, of twenty twenty two here this year in Canada I think what would have made more sense is because they've already also announced they're not going
0: to do the world junior next year's world Juniors in Russia like they were supposed to you know okay that'd be fair um but I, I don't think it's fair to, to ban these kids from being in a tournament. And I think it's, quite frankly, stupid. Um, Absolutely Just not. like I think it's stupid that um, the fact that the Washington Capitals have actually had to hire security for Ovechkin and his family is insane. Insane. People get stupid when, th- when things happen that are out of the ordinary than, uh, compared to what they're used to. They just get stupid and they don't think. Ovechkin is a hockey player. Ovechkin lives in the United States for most of the year for the past how many years? Um, but yet people are um insinuating that he has something to do with this ridiculous war, which he doesn't. And even for the media to ask him about it, what do they expect him to say? He can't speak out fully against Putin because he still has extended family that lives in Russia. So I think people need to Stop being stupid and respect these players and their families. And um, realize, you know, there's a difference between hockey and war. And nobody with uh, a sane mind wants a war. So let's respect that and stop asking stupid questions. And let's try as best as we can to move on while continuing to acknowledge um, all the people who are suffering. Um, And and instead of looking to blame all these other people, let's blame, you know, the people who really should be blamed, such as Vladimir Putin.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, for the young listeners out there, whether you're a hockey player or not, or have a passion for hockey, um, these you know, it, it, and I, I, I am guilty of it as well. I I get caught up and, and you know, I, I idolize a ton of athletes. I can tell you right now, Bubba Watson, a golfer, my hero. Uh, Yammer Yager, Pavel Bure, like these types, types of guys. Obviously, Steve Eisenman, Nick Lidstrom, Pavel Datsuk. But at the end of the day, remember, they are human beings like you and I. They are human beings. And... Right now, what's going on is horrible over in Eastern Europe. It is absolutely horrible, and it it's it it is very sad to see. But at the at the end of the day, treat these people like human beings. A guy like Ovechkin, like you had mentioned, I'll put a point out there. Could you imagine a league without Russian players in the NHL? Okay. Wouldn't happen. The the owners would not go for it. I totally agree, but. Think of a team like the Washington Capitals. So they have numerous Russian players, okay? You got their best player in Alex Ovechkin. You got another great player in in, um, Evgeny Kuznetsov. You got Sam Sonov, their goalie. You have Dmitry Orlov, who is a top-20 defenseman in the NHL. There's four guys right there. That team, would they be as good without those four players? Not even close. But also, like, a lot of these... Players, yes, they remember their roots. They're from Russia. Every, you know, The NHL, I don't know what the percentage of players in the NHL is uh, that are Russian-born, but the league would not even be close to the same level of skill and talent if you neglected and said, we can't have Russian players participate in the NHL. I couldn't imagine. Look, look at the Red Wings. The Russian Five for the Red Wings in the 90s, early 2000s. They had five unbelievable Russian players, uh, not to mention Datsuk came in later after the Russian five, if you will. I couldn't imagine the, the Detroit Red Wings now that I was, you know, privy to the to watching that skill level with Datsuk on that team plus the Russian five. I couldn't imagine that team without it. Think about Malkin with, with uh, Pittsburgh. Think about Kucherov, Vasilevsky with Tampa Bay Lightning. That those teams would not be the exact. They would not even be close to the same. Um, level of skill and performance, if they didn't have those players. So, to answer yeah, your question, five point three percent
0: are from Russia.
1: Five point three. I'm actually surprised. I thought it was no, a little sorry, bit higher. Sorry, uh, it's it's got to be higher. Five point two percent. Okay, so if not five point three, five point two. I'm I'm actually yeah. surprised. Sweden I actually, is
0: nine point four percent. U.S. is twenty seven point two percent. Canada is forty three point nine percent. Uh, uh,
1: so you think about it, Kate, those seem seem low numbers though. I was going to say 5.2, 5.3%. I was going to say at least 10 or 15%, but,
0: but so when you look at the actual number of players, there are 55 Russian players in the NHL.
1: Let's just assume, let's just say 30 teams in the NHL times 20. Okay. 20 players per team. That's 600 players. So 5% of 600 I should probably know this, that should be about 30 Russian players, give or take. Obviously, there's way more players on a team, prospects, um, guys that are healthy scratches. But that still seems low. But regardless, it still represents a good chunk of the NHL, right? If you do the math, if it is if it is actually 5%, that represents about 30 active players. And, and on when the- you,
0: when you think of it, it's these Russian players generally aren't just fourth liners. Like they are like all-stars almost in every situation. Like you look at Kucherov. Highly skilled. Look at yep. Like these are high-skilled players that Panera. are uh, uh, significant impacts on their team. It's not like
1: they are a fourth-line bum, right? Like without these players, well, these it's teams… Hey, we can't even say fourth-line bum because even the fourth-line players are so skilled now. Well, compared like, to how they used to be, yes. But yes,
0: but what I'm saying is these these teams would not be competitive as much without their Russian stars. So you take away Kucherov and Vascovsky from Tampa Bay, are they going to be a good team still? Yeah, they're going to be pretty good. But they're not going to be back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. I can promise you that. So it's just... You know, like I said, when conflict arises, sometimes people overreact. They panic. They they have that fear. I mean, there there are some people out there who I've talked to in my, you know, in my social circles that genu- genuinely believe that this could become World War 3. They genuinely genuinely fear that. Are they wrong to fear that? No. Is World War 3 likely? No. I don't think so. I think most of the leaders in this world know that we don't want that, especially with all the ramifications. Um, but, like I said, we need to find a way to, um, you know, to hope for the best for all of the, these people involved, all of the, the innocent citizens having to live through this, the ones who are fighting, uh, and hope that somehow, uh, things can end up getting resolved in a uh, uh, in a peaceful way as much as possible and move on. I mean, this isn't even just impacting Russia and Ukraine anymore. Uh, look, at, look at how it's affecting us. Our gas prices are going through the roof. Um, some places in Canada have hit $2 a liter now. Now, I'm fortunate and you're fortunate. We have pretty good paying jobs. So, and I'm not, to, it's not to say that, you know, we can still afford it because we can. But when you fill up a truck now, it's going to be almost $200 to fill. That's a lot more than what generally we would be used to paying. So that's going to take a, a toll on uh, some people financially. It's going to impact their ability to take their kids' places, um, spending money to go out to restaurants, movie theaters. So it's having an effect here now and that is also going to affect people's mental health because when you have to start stressing about things like this, along with rising food prices and whatnot, it's going to change the way you live your day to day life. Um, You're going to question, you know what you can spend because you're still making the same amount of money, but you're just paying a lot more for everything else. So, Again, a lot of people are being impacted by this. And we have to just be mindful of everybody's mental health around uh, around us and around the world because we're all going through something. And we all need to, you know, f- hope for a positive way forward the best that we can.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Sorry, I was just on mute there. But uh, yeah, no, it's... uh. You know, and just to see the support from, you know, countries that aren't, I want—I don't want to say, like, directly affected, but, like, most countries are not, I guess, directly affected. It might be more of an indirect um, effect. Uh, like, you had just mentioned gas prices and just the general cost of living, and we're speaking on behalf of um, Canada, but it's, yeah, it's... It's, it's nice to see, though, like if you want to take one positive situation, I'm a big believer in that is the support that and the global awareness, if you will, about um, about this tragic uh, warfare um, in Eastern Europe. And, you know, our, our hearts are out to these people. And God bless. Um, it, it's very sad to, to watch. And I try my best to stay away from some of the news updates because it it is so sad and negative but at the end of the day it is reality this is actually happening and um we we you know hope for nothing but the best for the ukrainian people and just eastern europe in general and hopefully it can get resolved in a timely manner as well um but uh yeah anyways
0: on to our agenda for the day we have a few Red Wings games to recap since we last talked to you. Um, so we will be going over the game versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we'll question whether it was a hockey game or a football game. Or um, MLB. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we'll
1: go on you know, to – Chris, just to interrupt. I honestly – it doesn't get old. I know this is our third time you know, trying to record here. Um I'm still going to laugh the exact same way as I did the first two recordings, but anyways, (laughs) continue on. Um,
0: and, and in talking about Toronto, it's going to venture into a lot of coaching talk because I'm sorry, but we have an idiot behind the Detroit Red Wing bench. He's a moron. I could come up with a whole list of adjectives. That'd be a fun class activity to come up with a lot of adjectives to describe a bad coach. Anyways, um, then we'll move on and talk about the Carolina and Tampa games, which were better. um, And then we'll wrap things up with the Florida game and we'll go back into some coaching talk there. At which point we'll, uh, briefly go over some trade deadline rumors, um, maybe expectations, previews of what Iserman might be
1: thinking, what his possibilities could be.
0: And, uh, then we'll wrap things up.
1: Yeah. So, oh man, I know, I know there's listeners out there and my apologies again for the delay. Um, I know I've I've, I've had some texts and calls uh, asking and inquiring about when we're going to be talking about the uh, that game, if you will call it a hockey game, but uh, Detroit versus the Maple Leafs um, last Saturday, and yeah, I mean it—it was a low-scoring football game slash MLB game slash pickup game where it's just pure offense and you know defense is out the back door, so. 10-7, 17 goals scored in that game. Um, I can't remember. I think it was like 2011 or 2012. Chris, maybe you you might know that stat. The last time there was that many goals scored in an NHL game. Um, Yeah, don't get me wrong. There's tons of offense. Yeah, 2011. So there's tons of offense and potency in the NHL. But teams are also built to avoid games like this. Uh, When I say built... They have good defense, sound goaltender. Yeah, like in my eyes, when I see a high scoring affair, I'm thinking like, okay, maybe the, maybe your goalie lets in, or you, or your team scores five, six, maybe seven goals. But it wasn't. It was on both sides. Seventeen goals, ten to seven. Like that is that that is like the 1970s, 60s of hockey when goalie pads were way smaller and they represented only a fraction of the net. And I I wouldn't even say, at least on Detroit's part, I wouldn't say
0: Detroit's goalies were that bad, all things considered. Like, when you look at the goals that were scored, they were tips, they were fluky tips. Uh, They went off of guys' skates. They, you know, some of them were just flat out, no defense. So you didn't have a chance. That's, and that is why, to, to pause with the Red Wings here for a second, that is why the Maple Leafs are probably getting their golf bags ready right now. Because they know, come first round of the playoffs, completion, they're going golfing. There's nobody in the Eastern Conference, really, that they can compete with and beat. Because you can't win in the playoffs 10-7. Uh, to 7. Or what did they lose the other night? Um...
1: Vancouver was 6 4 last
0: night. 6 4. Again, like they're letting all these goals in. They have no ability to play defense, to hamper down and play defense. My Pee Wee team, uh, we're going to the finals next week, but in the semifinals, we were winning 1 0 on our home rink last weekend. And we went into the second intermission. And I remember I said to the kids, okay, because we lead the league in offense. But we've had trouble, uh, you know, keeping our leads all season. You know, we get scored on and then we have to work back. And usually we do. But I said, wouldn't it be nice if we could focus on defense and just let's not let them score. If we got to go along the way, great. But let's preserve our lead. Let's work as a five-man unit to preserve our lead and keep our momentum and go forward. Sure enough, we did that, and we ended up getting a second goal, and we won 2-0. That's peewee. If if us coaches can get that into the brains of 12-year-olds, then you would think that a guy like Sheldon Keefe or um, Jeff Blaschel could do that. But instead, Jeff Blaschel just makes his stupid, smug face where he looks confused all the time. <laughs> And and, and and here's my favorite part about the game. Jeff Blaschel did something that, you know, doesn't get done very much in the NHL. Nedeljkovic starts the game. Like I said, was he, was he good? No. But was he bad? Like, was he costing them the game? No. Well, you pause him, which you do, because you're trying to get the momentum changed into your favor. Grice comes in, and he gets the same treatment as Nedeljkovic. Like, you know, goals are going in. Again, he's not playing horrible, but he's not playing great. So then what does the idiot behind Detroit's bench do? Oh, I'm going to put Nedeljkovic back in. You know, it wasn't going well for him, you know, 30 minutes ago, but hell. Let's give it a try again. Let's see what that does for his confidence. That was an embarrassment. And if I was Steve Eisenman, I was sitting right in my press box, and i was writing down f i r e d because that son of a <laughs> bitch is going to be fired by the end of this season done like what an idiot i have i don't even know i don't even know i was speechless i was less speechless
1: yeah and that leads us you know we'll, we'll talk more about coaching um we'll we'll talk about coaching obviously throughout the the last four red wings games but uh you know into our next topic as well which we'll highlight but yeah that i I have been around hockey since I was – I'm very fortunate, by the way, to be around hockey since I was probably about four years old. And playing and watching hockey, you rarely ever see – okay, so a goalie gets pulled. That, that happens quite regularly now in the NHL. But goalie gets pulled, but then you put the original goalie back in. At any point of the game, in this case against the Leafs, it was at the start of the third period – that never happens. Nedeljkovic, his mind was already on the bench. And, and most goalies, like when they're not playing that night in the NHL, they're, they're taking stats. They're helping out with like if a player breaks his stick, handing out sticks. Like they do little subtle things on the bench. So his mentality was already like fried. He was done. Uh, he was ready, you know, just to, to be almost a spectator, if you will, for the game. Then he puts him in for the third period when his mentality is clearly not there, he's already probably mentally thinking about the next game that he starts. And Jeff Blasio puts him back in, which you never see. You never see, uh, I guess, two goalie changes. It would be because they put Grice in and then they put him back in. That made no sense. Not, not to mention, um, you know, the wings actually have struggled to score goals this whole entire season. Even though we've, gotten way more talent on the team than last year. And, you know, we can go on, you know, Sider, Raymond, adding Letty, you know, these types of guys to help influence the offense. But we ended up making it, it was 7-2 to two to go into the third period against the Toronto Maple Leafs. It Detroit scored four goals in the matter of less than five minutes. They've had a hard time scoring four goals in an entire 60 minutes the whole season. They make it 7-6. to six. And then Toronto, there was a horrible play by Frale Peronic at the uh, Toronto blue line, offen- or I should say the offensive blue line. He gave it up, um, and Mkaev ended up scoring. And there was a little bit of goalie interference. Do I think that it was goalie interference? Probably not. But at that point, you're deflated because you already made it seven to six, and you're back in the game. Little Caesar Arena was jumping for joy, seeing all this excitement and especially the fact that Detroit scored four goals in less than five minutes in the third period, they made it a hockey game. Maybe just take a chance and actually, no, he should have taken a chance and challenged that play. Even though, yes, if you lose the challenge, it does penalize your team. But when it made it eight, six for this, I guess, controversial goal, they, the Red Wings bench again, sat back down and were deflated. so, Maybe just take a chance and challenge that play. Maybe luck is in your favor, and they call it goaltender interference. No, nope. what does Jeff Blashill do? He sits on his bench, making that face and pondering, <laughs> looking at the iPad. Ah, no. He he ends up giving a signal to the refs, like keep play going, drop the puck. It's eight to six. And, and
0: this is a guy who consistently over the years have, have has taken has made the stupidest coaches' challenges. Like I remember, like I'd be watching games, thinking. There's no way they're going to call this goal off. But he used that stupid challenge. But yet he didn't do it in this situation where I agree. The game had already gotten out of hand once. Now you're back in the game and you're not willing to, to make that risk, to take that risk. That
1: sacrifice, yeah.
0: That, you know, 100%. He's just I, – I think Jeff Flashwell's biggest flaw is he, he has a horrible time. He has a horrible ability to read a game. And that's what a good coach is able to do. They're able to read a game and adapt to the game. Because that's what the players need. There's such big momentum shifts in the game of hockey now more than ever. And it's the job of the coach who's running that bench to uh, uh, guide the players through that momentum. And Jeff Blaschel has no ability to do that. No ability to do that. He is truly incompetent when it comes to that. He, in my opinion, lost his job during that game. Like, he will coach for the rest of the year, most likely, but he lost his job during that game. I don't know how you can come back from, from that performance. And it's, again, it's not just that game. How many blown leads have there been this year with the Red Wings? They they lead the league in third period goals allowed against them. You can't win in the NHL when you're consistently allowing goals against you in the third period. What has Jeff Blaschel done to to uh, respond to that? Well, I know. Let's put Donkey Kong to Kaiser in the lineup because that does such a great job. Let's make our zone time. We'll be stuck in our zone so much more with dumb Donkey Kong back there. That's fine. Because guess what? Every time that guy plays, we lose. We lose possession time. We lose puck battles. Our goalies look worse. Because he's not doing his job. And no matter how well a guy like Osterley plays, who I think has had a pretty good season, it doesn't matter. If Blashill decides to put Donkey Kong in, he does. And then games like this happen. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it was – I I I was not excited about the actual outcome of the game as a Red Wings fan, like, when they made it 7-6. I was excited because of the flurry of goals because there's been that much lack thereof this season from offensive production, power play, you name it. But they made it 7-6, and mind you, there was a few goals there that should have been stopped at, you know, it was a flip between Campbell and Mrazic because Campbell got pulled. But they still – a goal is a goal. That's just how it is. And I will, like, some positivity, obviously. You know, shout out to Lucas Raymond getting his second hat trick against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, and it just goes to show, like, you know, young kid here stepping in. He wasn't even supposed to make the team. And uh, he, was, he was battling a top six for a top six role or a top two-line role as a forward. And he out Bobby Ryan. And Bobby Ryan was great in the preseason, too. He's, he was a great Red Wing uh, during his short stint with the Red Wings, but he outdoed him, and he's proven why the Red Wings chose him over a veteran like Bobby Ryan, who's had a great career. But anyways, it's you know it's and it, as a Leafs fan, I could only imagine I would have looked at that game. Yes, fluke games happen, but you gave up four goals in less than five minutes in the third period against a team that was not even supposed to be in the playoff race. Yet they are. You're fine. Are they a playoff team? No. But that I also look at the flip side too. As a Leeds fan, I would have been embarrassed about that game. And but regardless, the 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 incompetent decisions of Jeff Blashel, uh not knowing when to challenge a play, not uh mismanaging the bench, mismanaging his lines. It is the story of, of the Red Wings season this year. Um am I very thankful that they're actually Kind of competing for a playoff spot, absolutely. We were not expecting this as fans, we did not expect this, but that is also. I can't put all the credit to Jeff Blash on that. That is, I, just- I don't
0: put any credit to Jeff Blash. None,
1: you don't get
0: a guy like Mort Sider and Lucas Raymond, and you get instantly better. There's no, I don't care, you could have a pylon. Well, we pretty much do have a pylon behind the bench, and those two are going to make the team much more competitive. (laughs) Jeff has had nothing to do with that. These two players have excelled at every level of hockey they have ever played. So, no, it's no surprise that the Red Wings are um, better. But when you look at things overall, big picture, okay? So you got Lucas Raymond. You got Morant Sider. You got Nick Letty. You got Dylan Larkin back because he missed a chunk of last season. Tyler Bertuzzi
1: missed a big chunk of last season.
0: So you get these players back. So yes, naturally you're going to be better, but what has gotten worse?
1: And and not to mention you added Nedeljkovic this past offseason. He's been awesome. And what has
0: gotten worse? What has gotten worse? Their team defense is horrible. It has made no gains at all. If anything, it has gotten worse. And you don't get better players like this and get worse defensively. That is on coaching. And that is on Jeff Blaschel. And that is why he should absolutely not be anywhere near the Detroit bench next year.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, so obviously you can hear the passion um, from from our standpoint. Um, That was a really frustrating game, to say the least, to watch. And it's not because we lost to... A division rival and just a rival in general with the Leafs. It was the fact that, like, it was just like, what a horribly mismanaged game. And, you know, Jeff Blashoe could have nipped that in the butt by even taking a timeout, calming the troops down, calming the players down. When I say troops, I mean players, but like, calming the players down. Let's recollect our thoughts here, guys. Uh, you know, we're two, three shots out of this thing. Nope. Like nothing like that. He thinks, oh, let's put in another goaltender, and fine. Yeah, he, you don't want to destroy the mentality of the goaltender and the confidence of the goaltender. So yes, do I agree with the pulling Nedeljkovic and putting? Oh it in place? yeah, I don't yeah. dispute that. But at don't all. don't revert to putting Nedeljkovic back in to start the third period when it was seven to two. Realistically, when you're going to that period, you're thinking, okay, let's try to build some confidence for the next game. The game's over. Maybe we pot in a couple goals. But like that decision was horrible, and the lack of a timeout, the lack of a challenge on the Mikheyev goal, uh, or it just it just has mounted up into this horrible mountain of negativity, and especially for the players. They're deflated. A lot, of these, a lot of these players, when they're up two, three goals now, they're almost like, you can almost see it in their eyes after the whistle when they show them on camera and on TV. They're, they're ready to, like, they know what's coming, the inevitable. The comeback, the loss, the devastating loss, whatever it may be. But regardless, you know, moving into something positive, they uh, played another world-class team. If I'm, if I'm gonna be honest, I think Carolina is one of the Cup favorites, um, and on home ice again, they beat them four three in overtime. Um, so something positive. Personally, I thought that that was one of the best games the Red Wings have played in the last two years. I'm not gonna say it's the best game, but it is up there. Uh, you have a guy like Rod Branhamor, fantastic coach, fantastic defense core on Carolina, fantastic goaltender in Freddie Anderson, fantastic forward group um, for them. The, you know they're firing on all centers all season, and they come into Little Caesar's Arena and Detroit played a really good game. They won four three in overtime um, and another shutout. Lucas Raymond, congrats to to him, got the overtime winner on the power play. Finally a power play goal, right? Uh something that's been lacking. More yeah, on three is easier. Uh, but that, that yeah. goal showed his
0: overall hockey IQ and skill because that wasn't an easy goal. It was a it was a pass, but it was a, a bouncing puck, and Raymond got control of it and put it in the, the net. And let me tell you that's a lot harder to do at full speed. Um that could have easily, you know, went
1: past his stick, but he made it happen, so
0: kudos to him. Um and-
1: and kudos, um, you know, and, and I know we've been hard on him in the podcast on Michael Rasmussen. Um, he, his, since his move to the wing from the center position, he has been, his hockey overall play has been way better. It's not even close than when he was at the center position. And he scored an awesome goal. Like he, what happened was Osterley was in the neutral zone, fed him the puck at the offensive blue line. He was able to Outskate their defenseman, and then he went five-hole on the Carolina. Uh, and he five-hole while still moving his feet full speed.
0: Like, yeah, he was full I speed made that
1: goal. And the
0: reason he's he's so much better at the wing is because you don't have to skate as much. He's not a good skater, so at center I don't think he's as useful. But you're right. When he's been moved to the wing, he's more and he has more of an impact. And that third line was excellent against Carolina. All three lines, one, two, and three were excellent they had they had uh chemistry um they were firing on all cylinders they were back checking um th- there was no real complaints in this game Nadalkoichch made saves he needed to
1: he uh, his former team
0: confidence back. he beat his former team um cider had a fantastic game you know lots to be happy about in 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 that game against carolina um more cider continued his point streak
1: um And working continued his point streak. Which I think Sider's
0: point streak is the most remarkable thing about it. He actually passed Nicholas, the perfect human Littstrom, his record of uh, his point streak in a rookie year. So that is just unbelievable to think about. Um, As of now, Sider's on pace for, I believe, 63 or 64 points, which again would surpass Nick Littstrom's first year, his rookie year, which is just unfathomable, unfathomable, like speechless, Um, you know, what's to come. And to think we have a guy like Simon Edmondson who could be just as good as Cider. you know, around there in talent, maybe, maybe not as good, maybe even better. That is fricking wicked. Awesome to know. (laughs) Um, But just a, a good all around game anyways.
1: Yeah. And, and it was, and like the, you know, Against the Leafs and Carolina, like the uh, mad shout out to all the um the fans supporting and the crowds have been unbelievable this year. This is probably like the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth time we've said it this year, but the crowds have been unbelievable. I really saw it in the obviously in the Carolina game when Lucas Raymond got the winner. Um, and another thing I honestly wanted to point out too was like, yeah, you know, Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, love the two gentlemen, absolute beauties, but. Do they show a little bit of bias towards the Red Wings? Absolutely. It is the Red Wings telecast. It, those are the two guys for the Red Wings telecast. But you could hear, and it's maybe weird for me to say this, but like it, I could hear the excitement in their voice when uh, they beat Carolina, who is a Stanley Cup uh, favorite Stanley Cup contender, if you will. But you could hear the excitement when Raymond scored, not just because it was an overtime goal. It was like, everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can still remember call. him saying that. <laughs> But he, he literally, um, he or I should say both, uh, you could hear the excitement in their voice. And there was that playoff atmosphere in that arena that night. And um, it was a tight checking game, uh, back and forth game, offense, defense. And you're playing a team that is really, really good. And Detroit is not at that point yet. We all know that. But the playoff atmosphere in that building, and you could just sense it in the, um, in the tone of of ken daniels and mickey redmond so that was a like i said one of the best games i've watched um, um from the red wings perspective in the last year and a half two years but uh well think of how hard it's probably been for ken daniels and mickey redmond in the last
0: few years um for most of their broadcasting career the red wings were a very good team they did nothing but win for 25 years um, so then once, you know, Datsuk Labs Zetterberg left, Lister obviously left, uh, you lost a lot of the talent. Things got rough. And to add to boot, you had these idiotic contracts that Ken Holland signed. So you had guys like Abdicator still playing, Jonathan Erickson still playing. The Red Wings were horrible. Like they were, uh, there's bottom of the league and then there's where the Red Wings were. So it was not easy for Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond. There's many games the last few years where they went off talking about stories from years ago. Like their heads weren't even necessarily fully in the game. But they were trying to entertain listeners because they knew the game wasn't entertaining. So now for them to be able to call games like this, with a playoff-like atmosphere, tight checking, high skill from our high skill players, you know, their heads are back in the game. Like they can feel it. They know where things are going, and it's only going to get better from here. And they are, you know, yeah, they're a little biased, but they have a passion. And when I watch, listen to a game, I want commentators that have a passion. We're gonna talk. We're gonna come back and talk about commentators when we talk about the Florida game, because uh, ESPN, the executives there, should take note um, with how how uh, a commentator should sound like. Anyways, we'll come back to that.
1: For sure. Um, but yeah, anyways, congrats to you. the Red Wings. A really good game. 4-3 winners in overtime against the Carolina Hurricanes and a well-coached Carolina team by Rod Brinnermore. But uh, moving into um, on the road, uh, they did their Southeast, uh, Southeast United States uh, road trip. And they started that road trip um, with uh, Tampa and Florida on the horizon. And their first game was against Tampa. And um. yeah, I, I'm not – I'm obviously disappointed they lost, of course, being a competitive person. But over, overall, I don't have many complaints about that Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay game and losing 3-1 or, um, to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are, again, um, a favorite to win the Stanley Cup. And they're in that, that conversation of winning the Stanley Cup. So um, Tampa Bay – I, I expected it. It was going to be a tough game. John Cooper's a great coach. It was – that team is 95% built by Steve Eisman. But overall, Chris, I don't know what your take on the game. I wasn't too upset about that. No, um, no. Nope. Nope. I
0: uh, I thought Nadelkovic had an excellent game. Like he was good against Carolina, but he was excellent against Tampa Bay. His lateral movement was perfect. He was reading plays. Um, he made some big saves to keep the Red Wings in the game because Tampa Bay was out playing the Red Wings. Like they are a better team. The Red Wings hung in there. They, um, they, they played positionally pretty good, keeping Tampa out of the high risk areas. Um, so I was, I was pretty happy again. I like the line combos, right? The line combos were overall pretty good. The third line played another solid game for Tuesday's line. You know, uh, Fabry tripped in there. Um, top line was good as always. Um, the defense... I, I love Letty playing with Cider again. Um, I've been saying it all year. I don't know why that was ever changed. Why would you play Donkey Kong to Kaiser with more at Cider? I don't understand. And ever since then, Letty's not been at the top of his game. Because he's always playing with a new D partner. Um, so the last few games... Uh, Letty was put back with cider, and I, I see a confidence in Letty's game again. He's skating the puck well. He's uh, playing better positionally. So I like what I'm seeing from that. Um, and at the end of the day, they hung in there with the uh, reigning two-time Stanley Cup champion winning Tampa Bay Lightning. And it 3-1, uh, but one was an empty net. The only thing I'm going to complain about was that horrible, bullshit, penalty call with a minute and a half to go in the game, the chintzy hooking call on Lucas Raymond. If you were going to call that hooking, then you should be finding a job elsewhere because this is the NHL buddy. And that was not hooking. That was, that was bullshit. This is why I hate Tampa Bay. I love Tampa Bay as a team, but they always get favored by the refs and Detroit was pressing with the empty, empty net. They were extra attacker. They were generating some chances. The puck came back to Detroit's end, and it was almost going in the net. But Lucas Raymond battled that puck, won the battle, but got called for hooking. It was bullshit. The NHL needs to find a way to somehow hold these refs accountable for bad calls. I honestly think they should be fined for bad calls. Like, there needs to be a review board or something, because it's stupid.
1: In the playoffs, it gets worse. Well, I mean, yeah, if that was a playoff game, which the Red Wings will most likely meet Tampa Bay in the playoffs at some point and being in the same division and whatnot, that could throw a whole series off. Not just the whole game. It could throw a whole series off. Because the way I think of it and imagine it, let's just say that was game five. The series is 2-2 in Tampa, going back to Detroit for game six. And then if there's a game seven, going back to Tampa for game seven. If that was the outcome of the game, Do you not think that there's momentum for Tampa Bay going into Detroit in Game 6? Because what if Detroit wins Game 5 and then goes to Little Caesars Arena in Detroit for Game 6 and has a chance to go up 3-2 as opposed to being down 3-2 in the series? For sure, I I, I totally agree with you. But overall, other than that, I I was actually impressed by the compete level of – the Detroit Red Wings against uh, Tampa Bay, and another shout out to Michael Rasmussen. I, I'll say it again: like he found a way, he broke free. There was uh, a puck that was loose in the neutral zone. He outskated the Tampa Bay defenseman, and mind you, I can't recall if that Tampa defenseman was near the end of his shift and he was tired, but Michael Rasmussen outskated him and went in on a breakaway, went backhand forehand, unfortunately didn't score, but still showed the hustle. He's 6'6". Six, six. He's 6 inches taller than typically the average hockey player, or 5 inches, if you will. So he needs to use those long legs. And I can start, you know, the last couple of weeks, I've actually really started seeing it. But it didn't really come to fruition until he was moved um, on the third uh, line from center to the wing position with Valeno centering the third line and Zadina on the other wing. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But other than that, um, Chris, I guess, you know, that's two positive games. Then we go back to the trough. And like I say, a stock market. So we're up on the peak of the mountain, and then we're at the bottom of the mountain going into Florida after those results.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, <laughs> I have a funny joke I'm thinking of, but I won't say it because it'll get political. But <laughs> um, you had to mention the stock market, which was just kind of funny. I made a light bulb go off in my head. Um, but no, you're right. This game was this is Jeff Blaschel's way of saying, Mr. Eisenman, I want to be fired because for everything that we just talked about that works so well against Carolina and Tampa Bay, the line combos, the chemistry, the hustle, the compete level that all got thrown out the window because what does the idiot Jeff trash do? Well, he puts Danny Kaiser back in the lineup. We played two of our best games of the year without him in the lineup. Why in the hell would you change the lineup after you just played two solid games? What are you thinking? What are you hoping to achieve? I don't know what he was hoping to achieve, but what he achieved was getting his ass kicked by the Florida Panthers, which we knew it was going to be a tough game to, to begin with. Sure. But why change the lineup? There was no reason to change the lineup. That is bad coaching. You don't change what's working. And he did for no reason. Um, he, he changed the, the second and third lines. He had um, Suter playing on the third line. And he moved um, Valeno to the second line. I like Valeno. I'm happy he's getting a chance in the second line. But that doesn't make sense right now. The Lions had their chemistry. They There was a flow to their game. They were generating chances. They were getting it done. This was a horrible time to to change anything up, to tweak anything up. And that's just another example. This guy has no ability to read his team, to read what's going on. And he needs to be fired.
1: Yeah, I mean... And Puceter's been a pretty like, pretty good second-line centerman. I, I don't think he's going to be the future second-line centerman for when this team is ready to compete, not just for the playoffs, but also for the Stanley Cup. But folks, also remember like it's a back-to-back game. I get it. The players are tired. But it's more prone and more relevant for goalies. You're not going to start a goalie back-to-back situations. That's fair because they're playing a full 60 minutes. But they they got the morning um, Saturday morning off prior to the Florida Panthers game, and they had so they had no practice, which is fine. But then all of a sudden, you're putting Valeno up on the second line and Pugh Suter back to the third line with no practice with their line mates at all, which chemistry is a huge thing in the NHL. You as a player, especially as a winger on the on the offensive system, you get used to. The skating stride, the mannerisms or the plays that your centerman makes. And so now you have Pew Suter on the third line with Zadina. And not to mention Rasmussen, who was on that line on the wing, was moved down to the fourth line. Adam Ernie was put on the third line. So you have three lines that are essentially affected by this. Three quarters of your offensive unit, right, being three lines. They have no chemistry together. They have no practice together and no game experience together. So you just throw them this combobulation, if you will, of different lineups. And then, yeah, of course, you put DeKaiser in. you, uh, And it's like, so you're telling me that you're punishing the players, that the defensemen that played well, and you're taking them out of the lineup to put DeKaiser in, who's a veteran, and it's like he has not.
0: It has to be like a minus 10,000 on the season. Like yeah, Kaiser' has been I, horrible this year. I'm sorry. Like, he's been horrible. Um, w- When we were watching warm up, we were joking then that, oh, boy, you know, this game is going to be a blowout. And then I, I said to you, I wouldn't be shocked if by mid point second period, Nedeljkovic has to come come in and play. Not because Christ is going to play bad, but because Blasio has set this team up for disaster. And that is exactly what ended up happening, to a T. So if we, who have no actual affiliation with the team, could predict that was going to happen, that is a huge problem.
1: A huge problem.
0: This and we guy were has
1: no control of his team. And we were also joking, uh, dating back to the warmups before the Florida Panther game, um, there was supposed to be no lineup changes. We didn't receive any yes. media notification. And DeKaiser was put in. We saw him. In the warm-up, so I was like, oh, maybe they're dressing seven defensemen. I don't know. No, it, lo and behold, the Kaiser's out there again. And it's like, it's just the same, same old story. And guys, guys and girls, I literally, the, the Detroit Red Wings were not even uh, imaginable to be playoff contenders. Yes, are they in a race? Fair enough. So have they have they superseded expectations? Um, for the fan organization, or the fans, I should say, absolutely. But it's the same old story, though. Like they're losing leads. They're um, yes, we expected them to have games where they get blown out. I understand that. That's part of a rebuild. But when you're when you're not really changing what should be changed for a team, as the coach, as the bench manager, it's inevitable that you're going to have a frustrated fan base. You're going to have frustrated players, more importantly, when I'm talking about the players' uh, perspective. I see it on Larkin's face all the time um, as as the leader. I see it on Bertuzzi's face as another leader on the team. I see it on Zadina's face. I see it on all of the Red Wings' faces. Like They're just frustrated and they're defeated. Their morale of the team is not good. And because it stems from the bench management and – Last night's game, we predicted it. They were going to get blown out, which they did. They took four penalties in the first period. Yes, were some of those calls 50-50? Could they be a call? Could they not be a call? Fair enough. But literally, that is on management of the bench. And those players were not ready to play last night's game against the no. Panthers.
0: And that goes two issues. Their penalty kill has been shit the last couple of games. Like, horrible. No adjustments. Again, I mean... When you're hemmed in the zone, your entire penalty kill, they, they can't get the puck out. There's a huge problem. And th- they lost games because of that penalty kill. Uh, number two, DeKaiser. On the on the second goal yesterday, um, he didn't do his job watching the pass across. I saw it coming, but he obviously didn't. And I know it's easier to say when you're watching, you're not the one there, I get that. But this is consistent with the Kaiser. He was not doing his job, covering that pass, and boom, wide open net. No chance for Thomas Grace. How about,
1: how about the third? Was it the third or the third fourth goal?
0: goal? Third goal, he was way too damn high. I don't know what he was doing. Somebody needs to remind him he, his job is defense. What the <laughs> hell are you at the point for? Yeah, moron. Like He is so dumb, and his hockey career is over. He he will not be playing on the Red Wings next year. He probably will not be in the NHL at all. Um, you know, thank you for your services, but uh, you're no longer needed. That's my thoughts on the Kaiser. And there's no reason that he should have been in the lineup. None.
1: Yeah, no. Even on the on the um the helms of a back to back game, it's like yeah, but your players aren't playing 60 minutes. Like I said with the goalie thing. Yeah, they're playing sixty minutes. You don't want to start a goalie back to back. They're going to be you. You know, fatigue can lead to injury, and you don't want that. But yeah, no, it was it was frustrating to watch. Actually, I had the whole third period on mute, and our second time trying to record this episode from last Sunday, we Chris and I just figured, let's just record now. The game was over. I, I the game was over, in my opinion, when our coach Jeff Blaschel, neglected to take a timeout when it was three to one in the first period. And they had taken way too many. You could clearly
0: see the game was getting out of hand. The momentum was full sail behind Florida. I mean, I don't know why Blasher would not call a timeout and say, guys, let's just slow down. Okay. We're going to take the wind out of their sails. It's three to one right now. We are still in this game. Shift by shift. Let's start taking it back to them. Let's generate some chances. Let's get pucks on net. But he didn't do that. As all season long, he has no ability to read the game. And when we get back into the playoff picture, probably next year, you can't have a coach who can't read the game because the playoffs goes all over the place in terms of momentum, energy, um,
1: um, Mentality, mentality, competitiveness. It, it's
0: just, it's, all, it, it's, it's almost like a little story put together, okay? And Jeff Blaschel is just on a whole separate book. Well,
1: and That's I feel bad. Problem. Like we, 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 focus on, um, we focus on like the players, like so. When I say players, like offense, defense of the Red Wings, but it's a toll for the the goalies too. Like it's easy for someone to say after a game, like, oh my god, Nedeljkovic or Grice letting five goals and was pulled. I'll tell you right now, that Florida Panthers game? Yes, and there's have there been times when the um, Nadelkovich and Grice have had pucks that they should have stopped? Absolutely. But you cannot blame them for the outcome of this season. No. Uh Grice, before he was pulled, right after the 5-1 goal. Um yeah, the fifth goal maybe could have stopped, the but I would have wanted back, but the yeah, other ones, but, he had no chance. But, but the mentality and the, the drag on the mentality of these goalies for the Red Wings right now, I can only imagine. We're, not, we're, we're fans watching this. But it's just like, okay, who's in next? Uh, when, when is he going to get pulled? And it comes down to coaching. It comes down to a lack of defensive system. And these goalies are getting shelled with shots and high-quality chances, especially in this stretch where you're playing Florida, Tampa, Toronto, High offensive powered teams. Um, Even we forgot to talk about Colorado, the game against Colorado, but right before the Leafs game, but it's like the mentality too. It's like, okay, when am I going to go in next? Uh, When is this guy going to get pulled? Not really a good mentality to have because as a hockey player, you, your team feeds off positivity and the littlest positive moment can impact the team. But There's just too much negativity right now on the bench, and he has completely lost the room, in my opinion. Um, These players, I personally don't even think they're listening and resonating some of the points that Jeff Blasio is making because it's the same old damn story, game after game. Yes, they've had some good games this year, but then it's like they play one good game, then they play a crap game where they're not even present. Like The players are not even mentally there. And you could see it from the puck drop. As a hockey fan, I can see it, and as a hockey player, I still play puck. But when I was younger, playing competitive level, it's like the, the, the like from the from the puck drop, you can tell in the first shift or two when a team's into the game, and they were not in the game from the get go. So very frustrating. And like I said, I had my TV on mute for the whole third period. One
0: one positive that I will talk about is when, like like I said, Grace had no chance he made some nice saves when he was playing. he had no chance on four of the five goals when Dalkovich went in when you know what which we rightfully predicted was about mid you know second period um he made sixteen of seventeen saves and he looked really good like he made some nice freaking saves, so that was nice to see um and you know one of the other reasons we watched on mute. Was because ESPN needs to look at their commentators because last night's commentating was horrible. It was bad. It was really bad. Before the game even started, they gave out three statistics that were 100% wrong. Like you can look more dumb and unprepared. So, right then and there, I knew well, this is going to be a bad call game. So, one of them was, um, they were talking about Thomas Grice and how oh he hasn't started since January ninth, and I was like what, like they he didn't just even beat know the Rangers? Shit, literally, um, so th- they got that wrong. Then they were talking about Mort Sider and they were listing off stats, but they weren't his stats. They were Lucas Raymond's stats. I was like this is a joke. Like. ESPN needs to never mind playing politics and hire commentators who know their shit. I want commentators who know their stuff and who sound energetic and like they enjoy the game. I don't want commentators who sound like this. If I wanted to do that, I would watch a robot movie because that is exactly what. What's her face sounded like in the game last night?
1: Um, it was. Well, it was I, bad. Think, I, I think as a commentator, you know, we've been privy to to listening to um, you know Gary Thorne and Bill Clement from ESPN, Doc Emmerich from Doc NBC. Emmerich. Um, You know, and, uh, like I said, Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond love the guys. They Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond are a little bit more biased for the Red Wings, but ah, of course. Hey, but, but regardless, you're you. I, I, I I'm not a commentator myself, but. I can only imagine, as a commentator, you have to assume that your audience is not um, hockey savvy, and they don't know everything about the game. Yes, you, you get you get people that tune in that know, you know, X's and O's when it comes to hockey. But you have to assume that the general audience doesn't really know the game, or maybe they're watching it to get into the game. It's part about awareness of the game, so you you almost like guide it to uh, a rookie when it comes to a hockey fan and i didn't hear any of that i haven't heard it all season from espn um you you and and also just like how about just some positivity there's so much negativity in the world be like you're commentating in my opinion the best sport in the world and just show some enthusiasm
0: Right? And, like, have some small talk with your color commentator. Like, how many times do Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond get off topic talking about some funny story? And then they get, you know, a couple minutes and they're back into the game. Um, Doc Emmerich and Eddie Olchuk oh, always used to do it on their NBC broadcasts. Um, And I'm not the biggest Eddie Olchuk fan. I, I, I found him kind of biased against Detroit, but whatever. They were entertaining. Uh, like Doc Emmerich, I, you know, he was obviously kind of in a league of his own. Um, he was just so entertaining, and the enthusiasm he brought to his calls were just like Nick him with a drive and he scores. Like, you just felt the emotion. You felt that it was and, important, and you can remember when you can literally remember line by line what a guy says, you know, he's doing his job or she's doing her job. But that's not happening with these ESPN people. They need to hire better commentators
1: yeah and 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 same goes to show like you know we're wings fans but um jim Houston for cbc he just recently retired prior to this season fantastic commentator he you got to you almost felt like just listening to a 60 minute broadcast for, with him um well i mean two hours but a 60 minute hockey game that you got to know his personality you got to know a bit more about the game a lot more about the game if you will uh, Bob Cole, another CBC commentator yeah. for Canada, uh, fantastic. Um, Dave Strader, rest in peace. Um, unfortunately, lost his battle to cancer, but he was a fantastic commentator. And th- this is why these commentators were asked to broadcast the duration of the playoffs as well upon you know uh, post regular season because they brought excitement, they brought education to the game, awareness to the game, positivity, personality, camaraderie. Those are just some nouns to describe that. But, anyways, yeah, it, it, that was just a cherry on top of a horrible Red Wings game against the Florida Panthers. Uh, when I say cherry on top, I mean it was just that just added to the, the negative uh, realm. I, I, I will say down. this. I do think, you know,
0: before before this game, I would have said, you know, is Jeff Blashell going to be fired midseason? No. I think Eiserman will wait till the offseason. But with that performance, you had the Maple Leafs game not too long ago. And then, for whatever reason, he made those stupid changes. And then the performance in Florida. Eisenman's got to be thinking now, do I want to continue to risk exposing my young guys to this coach? If they lose in Detroit to Arizona on Tuesday night, I could Monday, see that Flash- No, it's Tuesday. Or oh, it's
1: Tuesday, Monday's practice. Tuesday. Sorry, yeah. my
0: mistake. I could see Jeff Blaschel being fired if they lose to Arizona. And then you just you have an interim head coach for the rest of the year. Do, do yeah, I think that I'm, more likely than not? No. But I do think there's a greater chance now of that happening than not, uh, than I would have said like a week ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had um, – you know, I've talked to a lot of – um Wings fans and non-Wings fans that are my buddies and family and stuff. And, um, you know, I said this probably prior to Christmas break. W- the way I'll position it is if the Red Wings were supposed to make the playoffs, let's just say when I say supposed, they have the talent and just a well-built team. Um, obviously, this year, they were not expected to. But if they were expected to, Jeff Blash will already been fired by now before, yeah, before Christmas. Before time. Christmas, yeah. Yeah. And I also said to that point, um, you know, I've had many, like, you know, healthy arguments over this with with Wings fans, and they're like, oh, no, I think, you know, Blasho will, they'll wait till the, the offseason. I said, but if, I'll always say this, as a young hockey player or professional hockey player, and I can only speak um, as imagining, but losing tough losses when i say a tough loss it's uh you know you're competing like they did against Tampa Bay and you lose 2-1 3-1 and you barely lose but you almost deserve to win you're playing at the almost the same level as the uh, opposition that's tougher on a player than losing by blow, being blown out like they were against Tampa uh Florida i should say 6-2 but there's there's so and it affects the morale too because like when you're a young player especially for the Red Wings they have a lot of young players yeah you you want to see them being competitive and yes they're going to lose those 2-1 3-1 3-2 overtime games and it brings those players back for more but when You're blown out. Yeah, no one likes to get blown out. It's not fun. And I I agree. Like, you have that hunger to come back and perform better the next game, but not as much as if you lose a tight battle game where it's a tight score game as well. But too many times this season, though, there's been lack of decision-making and horrible decision-making, and you have one game or two games in a row that you play really good and then you play really horrible the next night. As a team that's on the up and going like the Red Wings are, as they can f- kind of foresee hopefully the end of their rebuild, that is not good. That, Like I say, it's a stock market, up, down, up, down. And it shouldn't be like that. If you're a team that is strictly like you are rebuilding from the down up and it's going to take a couple years, then I get it. But that also stems on coaching. And there's been too many times where he's – made horrible decisions. When I say horrible decisions, Jeff Blaschel made bad decisions. And so many times this year, the, those, the team is not mentally prepared for the game. Whether you're playing Arizona, who's one of the dead last teams in the NHL, or you're playing a team like Tampa or F- Toronto or Florida. So now it, it has come to fruition that this idea could be more true than ever before. If they go in and lose on home ice to the Arizona Coyotes, there's a a good chance that Jeff Blaschow gets fired before the March 21st trade deadline. Am I saying it's going to happen? No, I'm saying it's a possibility, but now it's more of a possibility than it was two months ago. And people are going to overlook the Arizona Coyotes because of their position in the standings. But, these uh, you got. You also got to remember, like the Arizona Coyotes, they're consisted of a team. Yeah, they're not making the playoffs. I think they're mathematically eliminated now. But they're, these guys are fighting for jobs next year. They're fighting for contracts. Like they, they're trying to prove themselves that they're worthy of still playing in the NHL and whether that's for the Arizona Coyotes or another team. So they're going to be coming out on firing on all cylinders. They just beat, <coughs> pardon me, Ottawa eight to five. So, I'm not saying Ottawa's a great team. I my as well but still they won the game and it was exciting so these guys are fighting and if detroit loses to the arizona coyotes you better think that eisman's like do i keep jeff blashill for the rest of the year and then hire a new coach in the offseason and maybe risk demoralizing players even more than they've already been demoralized this season or do i just say you know what nip it in the butt and you're gone so it's it's very true that, that this opinion, if you will, I'm not saying it's a rumor or anything like that, but just think about that, folks.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you, if if Detroit somehow gets blown out against Arizona, there's no doubt I think he'd be fired. I, I just don't... There's been too many blowouts recently um, where you can't get blown out by Arizona. There's no way.
1: So Blasch will better Without pray... And especially on home ice.
0: No, well, exactly. Where they've been good all year for the most part on yeah. home
1: ice. Blasho, so I better will, pray.
0: That's what he to do.
1: Yeah, and I'll give that credit to Blasho. Like they've been a good home ice team. and But it's not just, I, I'm not giving all the credit to Jeff Blasho. It's been the mad respect that I have for the Detroit Red Wings fans. I wish I could get over to a game, but haven't been this year. It, it saddens me. But you know what? The fans have been fantastic this year. But fans aren't dumb fans can see that they have a GM that is possibly the best GM in the NHL and he is a Red Wings Detroit City legend and they see change they see positive change and they see they've seen change since he came here as the GM in 2019 so that has also fed into their home record as well it's not just coaching but yeah that's something you know we we talk about we're going to get into the trade deadline next but like that is something that I'm really um, keen on over the next few weeks. Like is if, if this shit keeps happening where they are not prepared for the game, whether it's a playoff team or a non-playoff team is Jeff Blasho fired in season. And I don't necessarily always agree with an in-season fire, um, especially for a team that's not really supposed to make the playoffs. Um, You know, but at this point, They are looking, Steve Eisman, when I say they, Steve Eisman is looking for the coach that's going to bring them to the next level. And when I say next level, not just the playoffs, the next coach that Steve Eisman, you heard it here first, the next coach he hires, he envisions them to win them at least one cup or at least compete in many cup finals. So, yeah, something to consider.
0: Now, I mean, I think there's three realistic possibilities. Um, Some more realistic than others. I know I'm probably in the minority of Red Wings fans, but I would like to see Mike Babcock brought back. Um, and the reason I see it as possibly realistic is they have a working relationship, the history, uh, Steve Eisman and Mike Babcock. They've worked together on Team Canada. Mike Babcock obviously coached Steve Eiserman for a year before he retired. Um, and I understand Mike Babcock has made mistakes. He's admitted he's made mistakes. Um, he's working to get past those mistakes, and I think you know he's he's work he's worked this year at the University of Saskatchewan. His team was just eliminated from the playoffs. They had a lot of injuries, um, so they they had a very short bench in the game they were eliminated uh, on. And Mike Babcock was asked about his future, and he was very vague, as he always is when he wants to be. Um, but if Steve Iserman called him. I think if there was one team he would go coach, it would be the Detroit Red Wings. He, they still have their house in Michigan. Um, imagine a motivated and improved, learned from his mistakes, Mike Babcock, coming back to Detroit, to where he loved, he loved being in Detroit. He... He didn't have the media surrounding him every two seconds. He could still live his life. He went for a freaking run along the river every morning. You can never do that in Toronto without people harassing you as the head coach. Um, You know, give him more Cider, Simon Edvinson. Think of what he could do. Think of his matchup game. It'd be second to none. His matchup game was off the charts. He understood players. He utilized them. Very good. It got the best out of them. I remember when Datsuk and Zetterberg were both injured in the Olympics in um, 2014. They missed the last six weeks of the regular season. And, you know, I thought for sure our playoff streak was over. Um, But Mike Babcock got the most out of all of his players that were playing. Uh, A guy that comes to mind, Gustav Nyquist. Remember that sh- hot streak he got on? He was on a tear. Mike Babcock got those players to buy in. To They had to pick up new roles. And he got that team into the playoffs. He should have well, won the Jack th- Adams that year.
1: He and didn't. not to mention, you know, he Babcock was fortunate. Yeah, he coached Eisman for his last year. And then he obviously still had uh, the likes of Litchstrom. They eventually signed Brian Rafalski, two Hall of Fame defensemen, fantastic, Zug Zetterberg, future Hall of Famers. Um, you know, they, he did have talent, but then eventually that talent weaned out. Rafalski retired. They had Lidstrom for a couple more years. Then he retired. Then you had the likes of Nicholas Cronwall taking over a top defensive role where he was probably not slotted to be. He was a good second pairing defenseman or top pairing but not the go-to guy in the top pairing. So he had guys like Kyle Quincy and, and Danny DeKaiser. I know we were hard on Danny DeKaiser, but he coached like even in 2013 when he got the Chicago Blackhawks on the brink of elimination. Won the Cup that year. They ended up winning the, the Cup that yeah, year. Yeah, they won the Cup that year. They Detroit was up 3 to 1 in that series and they had no business even competing in that playoff series in the semi-conference final. But he got the most out of his players. Yes, they saw Datsuk and Zetterberg. Mind you, Datsug battling an injury. Zetterberg was not hundred percent healthy. Cronwall was playing on I always like to say half an E at that point. You had Jonathan
0: and, Erickson playing on the top defensive pairing with Nicholas Cronwall.
1: Yeah. And you he got, got he,
0: he coached them to game seven of the second round. That is
1: remarkable. For sure. And, and, you know, it's not all on Babcock. It's, you know, they still had some talent. With, like I said, with Datsun and Zeverk, Cromwell was still a, a great player despite his injuries and his battles there. But, um, yeah, is that a realistic option? Yes. I Do I foresee it happening? Probably not. But it's, it, it's an option nonetheless. I would also say there's a plethora of other options for the empty vacancy position that is not empty right now, but we do foresee um starting next year um for the Red Wings coaching position and um you know another it, for all we know Eiserman could literally have a guy picked hand picked that and, we and, don't and even this know this is about.
0: probably the most likely option uh, he probably already knows what he's doing
1: <laughs> yeah so it could be and and, and Eiserman has the best poker face in in the league and you never know what he's thinking when it comes to trades free agents And now this will be new to Eisman being in the Red Wings organization, is hiring a new coach, if that is the look at
0: the signing of Nicholas Listrom. That literally came out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, there was the executive vice president, right?
0: That came out of nowhere. Eisman just decides things and that's it. That's when everybody finds out there's no rumors. There's no mumblings, rumblings about things. It just happens. So, you know, there's a very good chance. John Cooper came out of nowhere. Right? When he hired John Cooper to coach Tampa Bay, nobody really knew anything much about him. And now he's the best coach in the NHL.
1: Or one of them. I, I don't know if I'd say best, but he's definitely up there for sure. And I was hoping before he resigned that Detroit would uh, have a bench but sign with Tampa. But there's also other candidates here. So what we see feasible, um, you know, we talked about Babcock, but we, um, Igor Larionov, he expresses creativity known as the professor. Like one of the smartest hockey players to ever play the game, and he expresses creativity and fun. Hockey is fun, so completely different mindset than mindset, I should say, than Mike Babcock. But that's an option. Um, Paul Maurice, being from the Windsor area and growing up and being raised in the Windsor area, he just he uh, a month or two ago um, let Winnipeg know he stepped aside from that position. He's still a young guy. I could still see the fire under his rear end that he wants to coach again. There's another option. If Barry Trotz, if the Islanders are, in my opinion, dumb enough to fire him, would love to see Barry Trotz. There is Lane Lambert. He's an associate coach currently for the New York Islanders under Barry Trotz. He has a history with Eisman from playing and just being in the hockey world. That could be an option. So there's there's a ton of different options. And for all we know, the options that we just listed above might not even be the next Red Wings coach. It could be... No, probably not. It's probably going to be like, someone. Oh, that we, this guy? Someone that we don't know, right? And there's other coaches that have been since fired in the NHL that could be candidates as well. But, you know, John Tortoreau is another one. I, I don't see... Eizerman I don't think that so. would work with no, with Eisenman. I, I, I agree. Like
0: don't get me wrong. I do like them, but I don't think it would work.
1: But... And Claude Julian's another one, but regardless, it's that'll be this. It's leading into our trade deadline talk because what we're going to talk about is um, how big this trade deadline is, and what I would say is how big it, the 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 gap of months from the trade deadline to the draft and free agency it really is for the Red Wings. I personally think this is going to be the biggest off season slash trade deadline period for the Red Wings dating back to. A when they brought back Eiserman as the GM role in 2019 and when they signed Marion Hossa after they won the cup in 2008. This is going to be huge. Red Wings fans, this is huge. Well, for because this this Red Wings. Is,
0: I would say this is going to be the transition offseason, right? Like the the rebuild is still kind of going on, but this is going to be the last time the Red Wings have you know anywhere near a top 10 pick in the draft. Um because next year you know, we're, we're assuming, I, I don't think there's a way that Ed Vinson does not make the team next year. So he's instantly going to make the, the red wing. Like think of the impact cider had alone this year, then add Edvinson into the mix. Right. So that alone, then you got Bergeron, uh, from, uh, Grand Rapids. He's going to be making a push to make the team. Those two are going to have big but, impact. No,
1: I'll correct you. It's not Bergeron. That's the, uh, Ex uh, Montreal Canadian GM, it's Bergeron, Jonathan Bergeron, right? Yeah, he's, he's almost a he's om- he's almost a point per game player. He the way I, I can only imagine how Eisman thinks, but he doesn't want him in a, a bottom line role. He wants him at least in a top nine role next year, and he's proven it on North American ice with the Grand Rapids Griffins, the AHL team with the Red Wings, that he is ready to make the jump to the Red Wings. So leading into the trade deadline, you got Evanson. Let's just assume that he makes the team next year, which all signs are pointing to that. Jonathan Berggren is making a huge push to make the Red Wings next year. Um, you got Elmer Soderblom over in Sweden right now that is on an absolute tear of a point streak. And the guy is 6'9", drafted in the seventh round. He could make a push to make the Red Wings roster. Wal is another defenseman that's playing in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, where he is leading, when I last checked a couple weeks ago, the uh, 20 and under age group for the SHL. He's leading it. He's a defenseman. And then there's Niederbach, who personally will probably, it'll take him another year or so, or two years to make the Red Wings roster, you know, maybe you'll come over to the Grand yeah, Rapids. He'll go be, yeah, Grand Rapids. Yeah, but you got guys like Evanson, Wall pushing for a job, and Berggren. Three guys that I know of, and you're going to need roster spots for these guys to make a push and a fight for the team and the roster position next year to start the season. So that leads me to believe, um, and also congrats to, um, I, Chris, I always forget his name, Finnish defenseman, Oli um U- Ulevi, Joe Levy. I don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry if I'm mistaken. Uh, the Red Wings just claimed him off waivers from the Florida Panthers. He is a former top five pick from the 2016 NHL draft. He's only 23 years old. And so adding another defenseman that pretty much is NHL ready, especially for the Red Wings, compared to the state of the Florida Panthers roster, does he shoot at, right or does he shoot left? He's a, he's a lefty. But you, you you add this young man to the mix. They already have Stetcher uh, as a healthy scratch. They have Osterley in and out of the lineup. We'll say he's a healthy scratch. You have DeKaiser. He's and gone. You have all these pieces. So re- realistically, I don't know if there's a market there for Danny DeKaiser. I don't think so. Um, so Danny de is off this roster after this season. You got Mark Stahl who's got a no movement clause and I have loved the addition and the veteran leadership that he's provided for the team, but also specifically Gustav Lindstrom who could be on the move at the deadline, who I could see if he's willing to move his uh, no movement clause, he is on the run um, to a playoff team who could fetch in my opinion, a third or fourth round pick for the veteran leadership and defensive style play. He provides Uh, Troy Stetcher, Could uh, draw some interest, especially being a quick, you know, right handed defenseman, which right handed defensemen are a premium in the NHL. He, I don't know the draft pick range that he could fetch, but I would look for him to possibly be moved. But more importantly, the players I see on the move, um, even though I love the guy, Nick Letty, um, I see him being on the move. Detroit. Uh, uh, got him in trade before uh, the season started for a second round pick. And there was other aspects of that deal. So I would think Eisman wants to get at least a second round pick in return. But at this point, I think Eisman is willing to even part with a third or a fourth. And for the veteran presence that he provides, he could certainly really help. His services could help a team like Toronto filling in that top four role, Edmonton, Um, any playoff team that's looking for a guy that could play on the power play, he's a good puck mover, he's a good skater, he could kill penalties.
0: Well, and he just has playoff experience. That's
1: and play and playoff exact, exactly. Play like extensive playoff experience. Nemesnikov could fetch, in my opinion, a second round pick. Um, we'll have to wait to see, but I think he is almost certain to be moved. He's on a cheap two million dollar contract. He scored a ton of goals, he's having a career year. And he could play at any line. He's a utility player. And he could play line one, line two, line three, line four. It's tons of speed. Penalty killing. Adam Ernie is another one. He, Unless Steve Eisman envisions this guy to be a permanent fourth-line winger for the foreseeable future, when I say foreseeable future, for the long-term future, I would look for him to be moved. Philip Horonick's another one. And Chris, we talk about this all the time. Could Philip Horonick be packaged up with Philip Zadina? for a second-line center. Yeah, because that is
0: ultimately, like I said before, this is a transition offseason. So they're they're going to make the jump, or hope to make the jump, into the playoff picture now, next year, for the foreseeable many, many, many years. But to do that, they need to acquire a legitimate second-line centerman who is somewhat on par with Dylan Larkin. Like you can't have a Valtteri Filippola-type second-line centerman, which the Red Wings got away with because we had Datsuk Zetterberg. Larkin's not as good as Datsuk Zetterberg. He's good, but you need a comparable centerman to to even out the offense, to really give the Red Wings a real one-two punch. Um, and so to do that, you're either going to do it through the draft or you're going to do it through a trade. I don't think free agency, there's there's much potential to get it done. So if you were to package up Zadina and Hronik, I I think you could get a a really good return. Obviously, you'd have to probably spice it up with a draft pick here or there. But um, that's something that Steve Eiserman knows he has to to, to fix, to improve. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes about doing that, whether it be through the trade or through the draft. Whether he does it now at the trade deadline or if he decides to wait and see if there's not something better at uh, closer to the draft.
1: And yeah, no, absolutely. Great point. And, and um, folks like, you know, we're not experts. We're going to make our mistakes too, in our predictions, but um, just like, you know, NHL GMs and scouts do, but uh, for what we've seen from Eisman from his, you know, two years, two years plus in Detroit and uh, Tampa, he builds through the draft. Yes. He's made some tweaks here and there with free agency, if if I'm a Wings fan betting, I don't foresee him signing a big big free agent centerman to fill that second center void, that gap, if you will. Um, he builds through the draft and he builds through trades. Primarily the draft. Yeah. So what I would he, say he does not overspend. Uh no he, signing. He's he's very feasible when it comes to finances. The salary cap has not gone up. Um the salary cap is really not going to change a whole lot over the next couple of years, just given the pandemic and the effect that that's caused on the NHL. But he, you know, one thing I wanted to jump into too is an interesting video that my buddy Rich sent is the um, LA Kings and the wings have ample amounts of cap space that they could utilize where they could acquire um, a bad contract or a contract that a team doesn't want anymore and they acquire that contract, and they receive a a formidable draft pick or roster player for acquiring that bad contract. So a a team that I really didn't even think of was the LA Kings. They have so much center depth. You look at guys like Kopitar, who's fantastic. You got Kempe. You know, those are two great guys. You got Quinton Byfield now in the mix that's playing full-time. They have so many centermen, and the LA Kings, last I checked, were like 700 k from the cap limit. So not much room to breathe there. So if the Wings could almost um, work out a deal where they retain a lot of salary and or a bad contract that the Kings do not want, maybe they get a guy like Alex Turcott, who is an absolute stud of a prospect and has not made his really has not made an NHL debut to this point. And he is a centerman who instantly would be inserted in the Red Wings top six. And when I say top six, you have Larkin at number one center, and then you have Turcott, who could who are in my opinion is already NHL ready to play, but he just doesn't have the room because of the center depth that the LA Kings have currently. Um, and then you know you move you know Pew Suter down to the third line or Valeno, whomever you choose to be center, that is a deep center positioned team. And we're not saying Dylan Larkin is a McDavid or a Crosby or a Nathan McKinnon, but if you have two uh, top-line centers, or or I shouldn't say top-line, center one and center two are good two-way and they contribute on the um, the, uh, score sheet, plus the winger depth that the Red Wings already have, With Verona coming uh, off injury, hopefully very soon, and the defensive prospects and goaltending that you have, that's a really good team. And amidst also hopefully hiring a new coach, that is a (laughs) scary good team. And I'm not just trying to be biased. That's being a hockey fan. That's a really good team. You do not need a McDavid or Crosby to win in the NHL. You look at uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, those, those years that they won in the early 2010 period. Taves was not a Crosby or McDavid. I don't even know if the guy cracked 75 points in a year. No. I'd have to no, check that. But they still I won. I said that they had back then. D, they had good D, good goaltending, good wingers. Their, their only problem
0: Dev. in Chicago was Stan Bowman didn't know how to manage their salary cap. So it a you know, huge they, got their, they got their cups and then they pretty much fell apart very quick. Obviously, Steve Eiserman, he's going to be pulling the strings where, um, you know, he gets these key players, but he's going to manage that salary cap and keep uh, his Red Wings competitive for the next 20, 25 years, just like the last 20, 25 years of their last playoff streaks. So, uh, you know, am I saying they're going to make the playoffs every single year? That'll be a lot harder to do. It's way more competitive than it was. But he's going to have these guys be competitive year in and year out. And he's going to manage that salary cap like he did in Tampa Bay. Um, And he's just, uh, you know, you just, you got to trust his hockey brain. He knows what he's doing. Um, And it's going to be real exciting to watch this trade deadline dying weeks of the season and then, you know, shortly after the season is over, I would expect that's when he announces his intention with coaching. Um to so that he can have a new coach in place to help him prepare for um probably the most important draft now uh in the next ten years. Uh this well, will be the I, highest the Red Wings pick in the near future.
1: Yeah, and what I would say too, good good point um is Eisman has been in an assessment phase ever since he was signed by the Red Wings as their general manager. So he came in, um, he had some bad contracts that were still on the books for the Red Wings um, from Ken Hawn, and he wanted to assess who he wants to build this team around. And now he's had two years of assessment. He definitely knows who he wants to build this team around and who is a core player. So for all we know, I, one, two other names I actually want to shut out there too before we wrap up the trade deadline is Tyler Bertuzzi and Robbie Fabry. Okay, so Robbie Fabry, yes, he just got re-signed to a three-year deal, a very affordable deal for what he provides. He's a great hockey player. He brings the grit and the competitiveness and the energy level that Eisman loves. But seeing what happened with Anthony Mantha being shipped to the Washington Capitals last year after being signed that same season. That's another guy that you got to look out for. But when I, I want to jump into Bertuzzi is the, the gentleman is 27. I love Tyler Bertuzzi. He is a general manager's and coach's dream. He scores goals. He plays two-way. He blocks shots for the team. He leads by example. He stirs up the pot, gets gritty, gets in the dirty areas. He hits. He fights. Um, and he just he's a hundred percent effort every single time he steps on that ice. one hundred percent effort, one hundred and ten percent, if you will. But that's another guy that I would look out for, maybe not at the deadline in the off season. He's on an affordable contract. He's signed through next year as well. He's on route to almost score forty goals this year. We'll see if he gets to that point. but you know when this rebuild is all said and done. Uh, you know, it could be when they're actually, when I say rebuilds done, they're actually like Stanley Cup contenders. And in that conversation, he is going to be about 29, 30, 28, 29, 30. Um, whereas the young group of this team is well below that. So his value has never been higher than it is now. What he's producing on the ice the other little things that I just mentioned that he does and brings to the game of hockey and for the Red Wings organization there's another guy that I also look out for and what he could garnish and get back in a trade scenario so um and typically what you see is teams will overspend and over when I say overspend at the trade deadline they tend to give up more assets and are not as in a panic scenario but if if you will but more in a scenario where like He'll do what it takes to win. There's another guy that I actually wanted to make mention of. Thankfully, I didn't forget. But uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, as much as I love the guy, he's one of my favorite Red Wings. And, but we'll have to see on that as well, um, whether it's the deadline or the offseason. If
0: they unloaded Tyler Bertuzzi, I think the only way they could do that would be at the draft. Because that could help you move up. Like Say they drafted 10th overall, maybe they move up some spots if they you know if they had a player they were really interested in that they know wouldn't drop to the 10th spot um but i think bertuzzi's i get what you're saying with his age but i think he's too much of a red wing heart and soul guy i think sometimes you move a player and it actually impacts other players on your team their overall morale you know a guy like larkin comes to mind like him and larkin are real good buddies and i understand they know it's a business and. Whatever, but I think moving Bertuzzi would actually have a negative impact on the player morale, Um, and I think Eiserman knows that. I, I see what you're saying. I, I, you know, do I think it's possible he could move Bertuzzi? Yes, it's Eiserman. He, you know, you can never know what he's thinking until he does it. Um, but I, I do think it would. It'd be kind of like Mike Babcock, the same thing. Like it could happen. But if I had to bet, I'd say it's more unlikely to happen. But I guess we'll have to wait and tell. And that's that's the beauty of how Steve Eisenman works. Things just come together and happen. Um, it's not like reading about kicking tires like we did for
1: all those years with Ken Holland. So. For sure. And and absolutely. And obviously, Eisenman, you know, he knows this is a business and he wants to build the best possible team he can. And sometimes that is a tough conversation to have, especially with players that you – you know we think of it as fans, and my buddy Rich always says this, and he's totally right we We think of it as fans of like who we want to see move or what we could get back in a trade. I'm not saying I don't i I love Tyler bertuzzi to be part of this rebuild. fantastic hockey player. He is a literally the dream. if you're as young listeners like watching Tyler bertuzzi play, he is a dream player to idolize, but I'm not saying it's going to happen either. I'm just saying it's going to be a is it possible with Steve Eisman anything's possible. Zadina, I've I've loved his confidence the last couple of weeks. Finally moving up for a period of time there to the top line and then playing also moving down to the third line. Yes, but he's playing with Joe Veleno who's another skilled young player that the wings are hoping he could find his game. Is he on the trade rumor block? Absolutely. But would I like to see Zadina move? No, I think there's a lot there. But if there's a package deal and uh, Eisman feels like he's building uh, or getting an asset back or assets back in that trade to make the team better, Eisman's going to do it. He, he is shown that he's not scared to do that. But regardless, March 21st by 3 p.m., if you're a fan of the Red Wings, do not panic. If there's no deal at you know by the time 240 hits or 230 hits, Eastern Standard Time, uh, there's there's going to be moves there in, in my opinion, there's just so many tradable assets and Eisman he's looking out for the Red Wings. and we'll have to wait and see what happens. I, I personally can't wait. That's going to be one of my most exciting outside of Christmas. And free agency day, that's probably like the most exciting day for a hockey fan, especially the nature of where the Red Wings are at right now. It's March 21st, cannot come fast enough. I cannot wait.
0: Yeah, and the best part is it's during my uh, spring break week for uh, my school. So it's nice I'll be able to actually be home. Not that, you know, on a normal year I actually put – NHL free uh trade deadline on my smart board all day <laughs> it's, you're educating my hockey kids love it
1: <laughs> yeah oh for sure yeah. but and you'll probably uh you'll probably be having a couple of rum and cokes or is that what you drink? I can't remember what you drink.
0: ryan but, cokes yeah uh,
1: ryan cokes my bad actually
0: I, I like the uh I usually would have the crown royal but uh now I quite like the Wolfhead whiskey from Windsor yeah. I always bring a bottle of Wolfhead back with me after I come home to visit
1: That coffee whiskey—I'm not a whiskey guy. Like, you know, if it's mixed with Pepsi or Coke or whatever, like, I'll drink it. But uh, that coffee whiskey is, yeah, it's it's very good. But hey, we're not telling young listeners to start drinking or anything like that. Once you're you're of age, yeah. yeah, Once you're of age, then you know those young listeners are what drive us to drink. (laughs) So that's not fair. That's not fair.
0: No, they're they're pretty good actually.
1: Yeah, for sure. But uh, anyways. Hopefully, uh, this, this time, time around will be the
0: charm because your internet never cut out and it should have the audio properly. <laughs> so, you know, for sure. Keep our fingers
1: crossed as we, we stop this recording and I, uh,
0: have it, have the episode produced. So
1: for sure. And thanks as always. Thanks so much, uh, for tuning in and listening to us. And thanks so much for your patience. Uh, we truly love, um, you know, providing this and, Literally, it was technology based, and uh, you know we apologize for that. Technology is not always your friend, and hopefully, um, hopefully, the next episode can be called
0: "Technology Our Friend" or something. Hopefully, everything just goes well.
1: Yeah, and uh, again, you know, God bless the uh, the people of Ukraine, Eastern Europe. Um, You know, it's uh, life is life is tough right now. Um, There's just so much going on, Um, but one thing I will say is, you know, try to. Try to take one positive uh, outlook on every situation that you're, you're dealt. Um, you know, I know it's hard. I get that. It's very difficult. But do your best to try to find some of that light um, in every situation if possible. And, um, you know, God bless. We, we can't wait to release Episode 9, um, you know, next week. But uh, thanks for tuning in and, and let's go Red Wings as always.
0: Everybody enjoy your week, Uh, whether you're in uh, Ontario where it's starting to warm up or whether you're here in Alberta where we are still in the midst of winter. And we will see you next time.